Tennessee Valley. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator Adam Keller and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studios in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, poultry worker Mona Darby talks union. Scott Herrick talks union Lee. Joy Silk is making a comeback. We speak to gubernatorial candidate Tim James and more on today's program. It's a good one. If you want to be part of the program today, we've got a phone number. Uh, And we're going to be getting the line open here pretty soon. I think Adam is still working on that. You can call or text 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8888. Five seven. You can also leave a voicemail throughout the week, and we might answer it on the program. If you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap here on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, then you can find us online. Uh, we are anywhere you can find anything online. We're on Facebook. We're on YouTube. Wherever you find your podcasts, all at The Valley Labor Report. Just a reminder, your support helps us stay on the air. Our largest single source of funding comes directly from our listeners. If you want to become a sustaining member of the program, you want to make a one-time donation, or buy our new hat, uh, then you can go to tvlr.fm. tvlr.fm is our website. You can find all that stuff there. Or you can become a patron at patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. Um, just an update on the hats. We were hoping that they would be shipped by mid-April, which is now. It is April 16th. Um, and they have not shipped yet. They said, uh, they, uh, I talked to the the folks and they said that there was a production delay, um, supply chains and, and whatever else, and that they will be shipped on the 20th to the place where they're going to get the patches and then they'll be shipped out after that. So... Hopefully looking at being on your heads by the end of April, beginning of May. That's what we're looking at now. It's a really cool hat, though. You should get it. You should get it for sure. USA and Union made, uh, unlike what you're going to get from, you know, some uh, (laughs) political candidates who have their... Uh, Make America Great Again hats made in China, or, uh, or even socialist... Like, it's crazy that there are, but this happens. There are, like, socialist political commentators or, like, political organizations or whatever that don't get their crappy merch union-made. 
Why would you do that? Why would you do? Why would you outsource your the production of things that you're going to put your name on to like slave labor? Why would you do that as a socialist, as like a pro worker person? Obviously, you know Republicans are going to do it because they don't care about that kind of stuff. But like, why would you do that? I don't know. It's it's a that's a that's that's a bee in my bonnet for sure. Really irritates me. I never if you're if you're listening and you. <laughs> and you like and you've you found stuff like that or or you do stuff like that let's uh let's stop doing that also if you're a member of a union you should get your local to sponsor the show you can reach out to me for more details on that so um yeah so our first uh, uh first segment today we're talking uh the retail wholesale and department store union they were founded in 1937 today they represent more than 60,000 workers in a wide range of industries, including but not limited to retail, grocery stores, poultry pl- processing, dairy processing, cereal processing, soda bottlers, bakeries, <gasps> healthcare, hotels, manufacturing, public sector workers, sanitation, highway workers, warehouses, building the services, and distribution. <laughs> the Mid-South Council represents over 4,000 workers in Alabama, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Virginia, and Tennessee. Most recently, the Mid-South Council and the RWDSU as a whole has become famous for their campaign to organize Amazon in Alabama, although their recently successful campaign at REI in New York has made a few headlines as well. But as you just heard, this union is made up of so many other workers that are fighting bosses day in and day out across the country and right here in Alabama. So we wanted to highlight some of the other work that this union is doing right here in our backyard. So we've got Josh Brewer, who is a return guest. He's a staff representative for the union and poultry worker at Wayne Farms in Decatur, RWDSU Local 451 President Mona Darby. Y'all, welcome to the program. Hey, Jacob, how you doing? Hello, everybody. Doing good, doing good. I I really appreciate your time. So, Mona, let's, let's start with you. You've been working in the poultry plant there in Decatur for over 30 years. Um, so can you talk to us about the sort of work that y'all do there? Like, give us a day in the life sort of thing. Like, what would I, as a poultry worker, do if I got a job at Wayne Farms tomorrow? Okay. We, I will start at the front of the line. Um, the line leader, the, it would be a cone loader, be the first one. Then you go to the leg cutters. They'll be cutting the legs off. Hmm. Um, then you'll get the uh, shoulder cutters. We call them breast cutters. They cut that off. Then you go next will be the wing cutters. Hmm. They cut the wings off from the breast. Then the next you'll get to it, it will be the breast rollers. Um, they the one roll the uh, the breast meat out, pull the skin off, and throw it on the belt. So that's how you get your fillet of breast. Then the next one down the line will be your tender cutters. They cut the tenors off. And then the next would be down the line would be the chimney clipper. They clip the white tips off, and then you get your bone poppers. They uh, pop the bones out so you can get the thigh bones out, so you can get the bone because we run boneless thighs. Boneless thighs. And uh, the next would be the knuckle cutters. Uh, the knuckles will come off the, uh, the thigh meat. Then you uh, go down, and it'll be the, the right, side, right side breast cutter. I mean, right side 
thigh bones and the left side thigh bones. So you go down the line, it would be the left side. You cut that off and the knuckles off as well. Then they pull the tip, they pull your tendons off, throw it on the belt. Tendons go to one side, breasts go to one side, legs go down in the hole, wings go on the on the wing segment. So sometimes they be whole wings, sometimes they be split wings. Then you get down to the end, that would be your oyster cutters. That's the thigh meat, because we run boneless meat. Mm-hmm. And so that's where they throw it out. And me, on my end, that would be the final inspector. Uh, on the breasts, I would get the uh, bone, make sure if the but the breast inspectors don't get them out. The final inspectors supposed to try to get everything out before they get in the in the combo or the stack on the box. Right. So there's a lot of there's a lot of cutting there. There's a lot of a lot of that kind of stuff. How much of that is like mechanized versus how much of the cutting like do you actually have to do like with your with your hands, so to speak? Everything they do, you have to do with your hands. Is you lose nice and scissors. Uh, now that we are this in the last month, I say a couple months, we they have put machines in, but we still running the lines as well. So the machines do a lot of the cutting because we couldn't get enough employees in to uh, get all the products out. So they started putting machines in. But you you always gonna have knives and seals. Everything there gonna be uh, on the line. Four of you on the line, you gonna have to use knives and seals. Wow! Wow! So, what about what about the rate of production? You're doing all this stuff. How many? If I were if I was a thigh cutter, how many thighs would I have to cut in like a minute or an hour? Uh, we're on the line. You're running uh, thirty to four, thirty-five bursts a minute. So you just have to average it up. Yeah, it's moving. It's moving. Yeah. Like, if yeah, you yeah, cut with knives yeah. and scissors, it's running thirty-four to thirty-five bursts a minute. If you're on the machine. The machine is running 150 beers a minute. See, and that's the – so I'll jump in there, Jacob. That's the difference between – the reason why it's it's long been a job that was manually done, as Mona said, with scissors and knives, is because the machines – a bird is not an exact – you know, it's an animal, right? So right. There's no way to make the exact specifications like you would other automated uh, factories. And so the, the wastefulness from a machine cutting of a bird is really high. A lot of that meat goes to waste. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously for the company, that's value – and then, I mean, just for genuinely, it is waste. And so um, that's where, you know, you'll see that the machines can do four to five times what a worker can do. But a worker will certainly uh, get to that bone and get that meat off properly. Get more quantity. It's a much better quality cut. And that's why we've seen a hesitation from plants to go automated. Right, right. Yeah, that was, uh, Yeah, I mean, I, I think that makes sense. So what about the, you know, you've been in the working at that facility for over 30 years. Can you talk to us about um, the like, what kind of changes have you seen over the course of your career, which, you know, I think one of the first things that comes to mind is, is obviously, they must have been doing child labor over there because you don't look a day over 40. So I don't know how you've been working there for 34 years. But, uh, you know, so <laughs> what are some of the changes that they that, that, that you've seen, you know, from when you started to, to today? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> uh, changes for us going to work, for cutting. Uh, yeah. That's what you're asking, the changes for the cutting it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Changes as far as like what what does like what is different about your job, or maybe it's maybe it's like pretty similar. I I, I don't know. I would assume that it's changed over thirty years, but maybe it's actually pretty similar. No, it's really similar. The uh, the same thing we've been doing on the line. The same thing we've been doing for the thirty four years I've been there. Wow, wow. So same thing, same thing. Nothing changed on that. That 
that that's pretty that's pretty amazing. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I think that a lot of folks think of poultry plant work as something that that is really uh, difficult to do, like physically, as as thirty years. You know, it it seems like I think the common perception of that is something that. Um, uh, that like Amazon work, you know, it's something that's going to chew folks up and spit them out. What do you attribute your ability to work in this industry for so long to? Um, well, it, it was hard labor. It's hard work at Wayne when you're especially on the line and you had to deal with knives and seals as all well, the bone properly because then you're talking about your hands uh, getting swollen or getting something. Then or you're talking about the knives and seals that you can. Um, get cut. Sometimes you get cut easily. Sometimes the bones just cut you. Cut sometimes the broken legs or broken bones in the breast and that's cut you. So it is hard physical labor when they come to a portrait portrait plant. It's hard. Right, right. Well, so you've I, been. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Just repetitive. You have the repetitive motion all the time. So that's mm-hmm. when you have a lot of people with a lot of hand problems or shoulder problems. Right, right. So y'all have been unionized since you started working there. What has it been like? Um, like, what are some of the what are some of the things that you, as as a local president, as a you know, as somebody who's working on the shop floor, uh, somebody who's been steward, uh, who's been a steward over the course of your career? What are what are some of the things that that y'all do as a union to you know fight for yourselves and and your coworkers there at Wayne Farms Indicator? Oh, just for representation. Yeah, representation. Uh, we are there for representative. Uh, if they're a company that do uh, do something wrong to them, or management do something wrong to them, or write them up for the wrong thing, um, that's what the union come in at. Uh, because they uh, talk to them wrong. Anything in that nature, anything can be wrong besides what's in the contract. That's what the union is good for. Through their mm-hmm. Jacob, through their bargaining process, they were able to secure. Uh, some language that gives essentially, as you know, right to work state and wine garden rights. Okay. So the companies are are often not going to call you a union steward if you're not asked for it. Right. Mm -hmm. So under, under federal law, you've got to ask for your steward and, um, and at Decatur and Wayne farms, you know, Mona has been out there for so long and been representing so many workers for this amount of time. There's really not a discipline or anything in that plant that moves that doesn't go through Mona or one of Mona's stewards if she's off. And so, you know, for me, I think what's been amazing to watch and just kind of watch from afar is, you know, I would probably say Mona represents 10 to 20 workers a day, a day yeah. if not more, Sometimes more. every day. Wow. Right. And so those situations are everything ranging from, you know, power bill issues or attendance issues mm-hmm. to mental health issues to disciplines to, you know, you name it. And Mona's in there basically half of her workday, probably, if not more, just representing employees just from 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 point A to point Z. Um, she also handles their orientation, right? So she's the first face they see coming in. Um, and she's very straight with them, especially the young people coming in. And, uh, you know, for us, just just like I said, just being able to participate with her and watch her for these years. It's pretty incredible, really. Um, I mean, she... <laughs> It's a six, seven hundred worker facility, and and and, and th- nothing happens without Mona being in it. Yeah, that that's pretty amazing. Yeah, they I, have, um, we uh, they automatically call union stewards in on our job when anybody being disciplined or anything. They automatically call union stewards in. They don't have to ask for them. We are I'm automatically in there. Right. Right. 
Yeah, that that's awesome. Yeah, you you were uh, you were talking to me um, yesterday about how you know you're uh, um, <laughs> you're you're trying to uh, uh, trying to bring up some some stewards behind you and and you know they uh, they're they're still a little a little kind of scared of management and and scared of the boss kind of stuff and 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 you know you were talking to me about how you just you just got to stand up to them and tell them what's what and tell them you know well you got this in the contract and and you know make them respect you kind of thing can you talk to us about how you like how you got to be in a place where you as you know, a working person, um, you know, feel like feel comfortable standing up to management when they're not following the contract, when they're not doing right by their employees, by their workers, because, you know, a a lot of folks, you know, that's that's something in a union environment in a non-union environment, like folks are just kind of conditioned to roll over when they're, you know, and be scared of the boss. Yeah. uh I, me, my, me personally, I just ain't never been scared of nobody. <laughs> <laughs> I just ain't been never been scared of nobody because I'm gonna just say whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but you have to gain your respect when it comes to management, and sometimes they'll try to, sometimes they'll try to go around me, and they'll mm-hmm. do some things that they don't think I know. They'll try to sweep under the rug. But when I when I do when I pick up on it, I find out. I go in there and we have it out. <laughs> we have it out now. <laughs> there you go. There but they'll go. try to pick up some things. Yeah, well, I do have some shop stewards. Um, they don't like just going in there or dealing with management at all. They just shop steward. Um, but uh, to, uh, me, I'm th- on day shift, I have four, four, four shop stewards. I have one Mac, uh, vice pre- uh, secretary and the other two is shop stewards. And uh, they don't just go in the office at all. Only time the uh, secretary go in, basically when I'm not there. If I'm on vacation, if I'm not there, that's when she go in. But uh, 99, 95% of the time, I'm in, I'm in the office with everybody. You just can't <laughs> beat Mona. She's... Yeah, yeah. It sounds like it. I, w- I wouldn't want to mess with Mona, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> y'all just ratified a new contract. Oh, I'm sorry, Josh. No, no, go ahead. I, I told you when we spoke who the boss was in this situation for sure. Yeah, right, right. I um so y'all just ratified a new contract about a month ago. Can you talk to us about that? Yes. Uh we do ratified the con uh we was on they had us on incentive to pay. Um that was two dollars an hour incentive for attendance. For attendance. Uh that uh the incentive me the attendance, you had to work all scheduled hours. And if you one minute late, they take the incentive. They take the two dollars back off the incentive. Hmm. So, my case, if I was making fifteen dollars an hour, with the incentive to make me put me at seventeen dollars an hour. So, but it, that's only time work. If you have to leave, go to the doctor, or uh, go to court, or uh, go do anything, go to daycare, pick up the children, you lose that incentive. Hmm. So you only get the incentive only if you're working all the four to schedule working hours. That's the only time you get that. It was also a concern, Jacob, because it's something we raised during the pandemic is that it's an attendance bonus. It's weekly. And so uh, 40 hours, you work your schedules, 40 hours, no issues. You get the extra two dollars an hour. But if you have a worker that is not feeling well or that may be sick, um, they need that 80 dollars a week. And so they're more likely to come in and get that bonus and just sort of sweep their sickness under the rug with no other option. And so it really was, uh, you know, it's been a fight that this local has taken up for the last few years. Um, Go ahead. ahead, Yeah, and and, and the thing is that y'all were able to get rid of that in the new contract, right? Yes. 
We uh, they, we made the, it was a we, it was hard bargain that we had to come up. Then COVID was played a big part in that because um, mm-hmm. they can't keep the work didn't have enough workers. So with the COVID, then with the union went in and bargained with them to try to put the incentive on the hourly wages, and we got that turned over. So the two dollars incentive went to the hourly wages, then plus a dollar and a half more. So that put it on three dollars and a half onto your regular hours, uh, onto your fifteen dollars or sixteen dollars or whatever you was making on with that. So thanks with the union and uh, with the COVID playing the part because they couldn't keep working, sure. and we had the uh, to keep working. We told them they had to come up with more money. Uh, what can we do? They ask me all the time, Mom, what can we do to help keep some people here? Help do this? Give them some more money. Mm-hmm. Give them some more. <laughs> That's pretty simple. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty simple. That's it. That's it. And so, Jacob, you're, we're talking a and to be to be clear, just for it was a, it was a intercontract uh, increase. And so, again, we've had sort of uh, some disputes throughout COVID and mm-hmm. we've been really working uh, to the company's credit to improve labor relations. And to uh, again, as Mona mentions, the pandemic really was a turning point, I think, for so many workers and, and her locals, no different. Um, mm-hmm. So we really start to try to improve those relations. And so. What we saw was through this through this memorandum into the contract, um, nearly a 25% flat wage increase overnight. Um, and so mm-hmm. workers went from around 1550 or so mm-hmm. with an attendance incentive that was difficult at times to achieve to a flat $19 mm-hmm. an hour. Um, and so it's, you know, it's not the uh, end goal, but for, I think, for poultry workers in the South, uh, the idea that we'd come to nineteen, twenty dollars an hour this soon um, is a true testament to them them really turning up their their heat and their power in the last few years. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you you know, t- talking about going from uh, fifteen fifty base rate to nineteen an hour. That's a you know that's uh, that's on the order of like a twenty percent raise. That's pretty good. It's a good, it's a good one. Yeah, yeah, that's not something I would complain about. That's for sure. So you know, Josh, as as a, as a staff rep, you know, th- your job is 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 every day to go in and support folks like folks like at Wayne Farms Indicator, uh, fighting the boss. What are some of the most common things that you see in the industry and at Wayne Farms um, a- as far as violations of the contract, uh, bosses not treating workers right, and how are you in concert with folks like Mona and shop stewards? How are you able to resolve those issues? Yeah, I think it, you know, Mona alluded to it. I think a lot of a lot of the issues at hand has been getting workers to really take agency over their local uh, and understand that they are the union, that there is no the union, that that they are the only ones that can really move the company. That uh, it doesn't matter what staff rep you have or how good I am with my words. If I don't have a feisty shop floor, I don't have much, right? Mm. And really trying to explain that, that they are the engine that makes this thing go, um, that we work for them and that they know a whole lot more than we do about this industry. And really sort of starting there and really getting workers to take agency over their union um, and then now seeing results of it. And I think now that, you know, our locals and our local working officers can see that uh, as we grow and as we participate, and as we push back on the boss, um, we see amazing things happen. And, and so, you know, it's uh, not just staff shortages. It's not just inflation that's driving these wages. The boss is nervous. The boss is more nervous than the boss has ever been. And, you know, I would say for workers that are listening out there, um, I've never been more excited to wake up every day. 
Um, I've never had so much uh, influence or leverage or ability to um, help our locals move. Um, the company's never been more willing to listen. And so now's the time to move. We have a particular time at, in leverage points that uh, we need to be organizing and we need to be making demands. And, and, and something I will also note, um, and Mona can speak to this as well, we, we, we ratified the agreement uh, three weeks, four weeks ago-ish, mm-hmm. um, and we've signed up over 55 union members, and Wayne Farms has hired over 60-plus employees over the last uh, few weeks, right? So they're flooding in the front door. And so for the companies that are wondering why you can't find workers, it's a wage issue you have, as Mona said. And uh, as you increase wages, workers will come. And 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 we don't, we're, you know, we're not satisfied at $19 an hour. Um, it's still barely getting over the poverty line. We want to get to a place where workers have the ability to go on vacation when they like, um, and God forbid, be able to go to the beach once or twice every couple of years. And so uh, you still can't do that on 35, 40,000 a year. Uh, so they're still forced to work a lot of extra hours and we've got a lot of work to do, but um, you know, it, it's the particular time. And, and so I don't have to do much. That's the beauty of it. Uh, I'm not supposed to do much. I'm just the messenger. And so uh, workers have really been making my job easy and, and companies are taking notice. Yeah. Mona, what would you say to folks out there that are, uh, you know, kind of uh, that, that are kind of dissatisfied with their work and maybe thinking about, uh, forming a union, but they have they have got this this you know idea from society that you got to be a good little worker. You can't stand up for yourself. Uh, unions are bad. Um, you know what would you say to folks out there that that are that are considering unionizing but are kind of scared about it? Oh, I I tell them that you can't be scared if you want to. And I will tell anyone, if you want a union, try to get one. That's the best thing that you can have because that's your right. You have a right to speak and you have a right to voice your opinion uh, if you are, if you unionize. And I think that's the best thing that anybody could do. But you just can't be afraid to go in there and talk and and tell management where they're wrong at. Uh, if they're wrong about something, you have to tell them what they're wrong at. And you have to you have to argue with them because at some point they think they're not going to do anything. Uh, they'll say, we ain't going to do it. We ain't going to do it. Okay, you just file your paper. That's what grievance are for. And uh, you put those papers on. You put enough papers on. They'll get right with you. <laughs> right. Uh, Mona, Josh, thanks so much for y'all's time. I appreciate it. Anytime. Okay, anytime. Thank you. Thank you. All right. All right, folks. We've been talking to Mona Darby. She is president of RWDSU Local 451, representing workers at Wayne Farms in Decatur, uh, and Josh Brewer. He is a staff rep for RWDSU and the Mid-South Council. Um, yeah, the love, love highlighting local unions, what they're able to win for workers. Uh, I mean, man, a base pay rate increase of 20% is... That's pretty good. That's beating inflation, which very, very few people are able to do right now. So lots of good stuff. Lots of good stuff there. Um, We're going to take a break really quick. Don't go anywhere on the other side of the break. We're going to be talking about what happened last week in Southern Labor and talking to Scott Herrick of Unionly. We'll be right back. 
Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Iron Workers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Iron Workers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. IBW558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. Energy Alabama is a locally operated and membership-based nonprofit organization focused on advancing Alabama's clean energy future through education and advocacy. Many people in charge of infrastructure and building decisions simply don't know how viable clean and renewable energy is, and to that end, Energy Alabama has provided instruction to thousands of adults and tens of thousands of K-12 students across the state, and they are working hard to build careers in clean energy and help everyday Alabamians save money on their utility bills. Learn more about their work and how you can join at energyalabama.org. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. The attorneys of Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs are proud to represent working people in Alabama and across the Southeast. They have over 100 years of experience representing injured workers in workers' compensation, personal injury, and disability claims. Let their attorneys help you when you get injured on the job. You can find them at www.mtandj.com or 855-617-9333. Let Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs help you when you get injured on the job. Again, the website is www.mtandj.com or the phone number 855-617-9333. No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services from other law firms. Attention union members, podcasters, members of membership organizations, 
The future is here, and you need to be prepared for it by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or other organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. You'll also be able to use a union-friendly organization. We use Unionly here at the Valley Labor Report, and they have been very great to us. Their fees are lower than Patreons, actually. They set up a great store. It's all extremely user-friendly, easy to use. So, folks, if this is something that your organization or you as an individual are needing, if you're needing a way to regularly collect dues from members or supporters of your organization, if you want to set up an online store, then you should start preparing for the future by calling today 206 595 8631. Again, that phone number is 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. That website is unionly.io. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at ibew136.org. Labor creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor. You are listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. If you've got anything to add, you can give us a call. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR, 844-899-8857. If you missed the first 30 minutes of the program, you missed a good interview with President of RWDSU Local 451 at Wayne Farms in Decatur, uh, shop floor poultry worker Mona Darby and RWDSU staff representative Josh Brewer about uh, about poultry work, about how they are able to fight the boss, how they are able to fight for fairness in the workplace, how they were able to win a 20% raise for their workers. Wow. And Mona really does seem like a... A heck of a representative. Yeah, I, I would feel comfortable going into a grievance meeting with yeah. Mona. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Mona's Mona's great. Uh we really do need to need to dig into that um that child labor stuff because her being in there for thirty four years, I mean, she like I said, she doesn't look a day over forty, so I don't know what was going on with that. We gotta we gotta look into that for sure. But um so uh uh our next guest is we're we're talking to Scott Herrick from Unionly. Unionly is a union focused company created specifically to support organized labor through payment management. They run dues payments, online stores, events, fundraisers, all sorts of stuff for unions all over the country, and they handle our store and our recurring donations as well. Uh and they're also union represented. Their employees are union represented. Scott is the co-founder and CEO, and he is our next guest here to talk about Unionly. Scott, welcome to the program. Hey, Jacob. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Glad to have you. So, you know, I just gave the lowdown about what y'all do. Why is that a service that, that uh, you reckon and, and, and the other folks that you started this company believe is something that is important to offer unions and other membership-based organizations? 
Yeah, you know, so about uh, six years ago, I uh, started the concept and I was working at my prior company uh, and I was approached by the owner and founder of Unions America, Union Active. And the first thing that kind of put us onto it was the amount of fraud that happens in fundraising with GoFundMe in the union space, where just how many people are, you know, uh, hawking the news for line of duty deaths or just members that have been injured to basically create fundraisers that are fraudulent, which I thought was insane. So we want to do something about that. Uh, and then as we got into it, realized there's really nothing built for organized labor. Sure, there's PayPal, there's Venmo, there's different mechanisms that are wildly overcomplicated for businesses, but not actually for organized labor. And so as I kind of got to, to learn about the whole industry more about six years ago, worked on the concept for about four years, uh, pitched it to my prior company. Uh, they didn't really like that because it wasn't their idea. Then March of uh, 2020, obviously the world ended and we got to, got to work uh, April April 20th of 2020. So overall, it's basically just a simple way to give uh, organized labor and, and unions control of all of their financial uh, records and, and revenue and just really control of, of money. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. You know, the uh, um, I think an under talked about something that maybe doesn't get enough attention is dues check off and whether or not that's really kind of the best way to get money from members um you know funding unions and organizations through membership donations through dues payments and things like that i think that is obviously the best way to fund an organization because you're not going to be dependent on donors you're not going to be dependent on outside groups that are going to tell you what to do or they'll be able to revoke your funding it's going to be coming from you so i think dues payments are very good but i think that dues checkoff you know that really does put a lot of that that puts some amount of power in the hands of the employer for the funding of of your operation as opposed to you know something like unionly where you're going you're getting it directly from the member yeah. and it's easy for the member to do because there's an automatic payment option kind of thing and we've uh, you know while it's been unfortunate to hear the scenarios a lot of our clients have been in where you know the uh, the employer has cut off peril deduction as the uh, main union busting tactic and they come to us and they're in a panic understandably so uh, but fortunately mm -hmm. we've been able to uh, help them get set up with an entire replacement system in about 24 hours right which has allowed them to stay together and then as part of those conversations i've had with our clients they said oh hey you know we're working on the new new contract and as part of that they go back to payroll deduction and i'm like well why would you do that and i think the prevailing logic has just been that's what you do right because it's easier I actually think from the company side as well, it's actually costing them a ton. And I think if they were to openly be willing to create a new system, as opposed to just saying, hey, we should stop doing this to break the union, which you know is BS, they should say, hey, there should be a system that gives out that actually control and actually saves the company money, which can go back to the people and help them out too. So really on both sides, it seems like a process that needs to stop, but no one has said, hey, this is really stupid and inefficient. Right. right. I think that's a big change, at least in, in my opinion, if something's wrong or if something's bad, I'm not going to sit around and say, all right, yep, that's just the way it's done, you know, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. not how I operate. Um, and especially with the control it gives to me, it's like, hey, if you know that's the biggest weapon they're going to use against you, why would you hand it back to them? Right. Right. Yeah. I think for me. That is definitely the most persuasive argument, you know, whether or not uh, whether or not it, it's the cheapest or most efficient. You know, I, I, I believe you that it is. But I think that I think that even if it wasn't the argument that we are going to be placing the funding of our unions in the boss's hands 
just because that's what we've always done. You know, I think that's I think that that's something that, that folks should definitely, you know, should definitely kind of think about. Um, and, and there are there are other, lots of other payment processing sites that that do this. And some other unions have and, and some unions have gone to to various organizations, various payment processing sites to handle online dues payments, virtual dues payments. What is the advantage of unionly to these other sites? We are uh, specifically built for organized labor and spe- and focused on uh, this one group, right? Um, you know, and, and we put the entire process and network together into one platform. I mean, normally you need about 10 or 15 pieces uh, to set everything up. So one, it takes about 10 minutes to set up. Uh, two, we have a way to do it that's completely free. And three, it can be customized and is built specifically for uh, organized labor. Yep. Yep. And and I will vouch for that as far as the the responsiveness and the quickness of setting stuff up. Um, I mean, a- any time that I send y'all a tasker for, uh, you know, to to oh hey, can you add this to my store or can you can you add this section to the store or or can you when you set up the store, I was really amazed at like how quick the tu- the turnaround on all of this stuff was and how uh, yeah. how responsive y'all are to to information requests and things like that. Um, you know. No, I, y'all are definitely a really easy company to work with, um, and and you know I, I think that it, you know there, there's a certain like mission orientedness to to your company. Yeah, absolutely. And that's another thing. You know, four on that list is we we care. You know, I I, I care, and that's easy to say, right? Talk is cheap, though, so uh, I welcome the opportunity to back it up. And I think that's really you know how we've kind of been able to establish a, a base of success is, is earning trust, right? I mean, in life, if you don't have trust, what else do you have? You know, so. To me, it's uh, it's really, really care, right? Is is mm-hmm. a big defining factor as well. So, yeah. And y'all, y'all have partnered with some other uh, union, uh, like digital companies, like so. There's a there the our website was built tvlr.fm by unionsamerica.com mm-hmm. uh, they are represented by the teamsters and it's a and, and it's a union web designing company and y'all partner with them so that you can fully integrate your store and your dues payments into your website that is also union built yes sir it's a great point you're part of the unions america and union active family you know within the website there's a union active website and management system and then we as unionly are the payments uh, element of it. So you're, you're right. It does all tie hand in hand. Or if there's a mobile app for communications, the website. I mean, really with the way that technology is currently and is going, things are already accelerating at such a rapid rate. They're going to accelerate at a rate that is more rapid than anyone has ever seen by a long shot. So the days of saying, oh, one day we'll have to change. One day we'll have to change. That was like two years ago. You know, mm-hmm. things, there's the prevailing logic of, oh, well, maybe one day is no longer valid right so in order to kind of stay at the times and, and stay current and it also makes things so easy to bring together right um as opposed to the past where it used to be extremely expensive time consuming um it's a lot easier now and it makes life better for everybody so right right yeah i was just going to add here that yeah, i think it's, it's such been, an it's essential been great to work with the different organizations we've had the privilege of, of working with and you know really it's it's once I kind of met Timothy as the owner of uh, Unions Active and Unions America, and I heard about this opportunity to basically help, you know, the working class of America and the working folks of America, I said, yeah, absolutely. That sounds great to me. And actually, it's kind of funny for pitching that idea to my last company, which they didn't like. They didn't like it to the tune of so much that I was actually part of a group that got laid off. So it's actually <laughs> kind of fitting. <laughs> oh, wow. 
So yeah, hats off to them. Good job. <laughs> well, I, I just got to say, I really appreciate what you're doing. I think it yeah. is meeting a need. Uh, I worked for a labor organization that went through transitions with payroll deduction. I Oh yeah, Jacob. I can't hear his feed actually. Oh, Adam, you I I, I heard you, but then then uh, uh, th- then I lost you. But that's okay. That's okay. Move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, Having some errors on my end. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, he was just saying that that's meeting a need, and and you know the last thing that that will will say on, on this is that you know in addition to you know y'all are definitely super focused on on organized labor, but but you do have you know you are willing to work with other like labor friendly organizations like like us. We're not a union mm-hmm. per se. All of us are union mm-hmm. members, and we're like cooperatively run and things like this. But mm-hmm. um, you know you, you're willing to work with other kind of labor-friendly organizations if they have this need too right that's a fact that's a fact good good people only you're doing a great job and you're, you're serving a great cause and uh yeah no absolutely so you know we welcome the opportunity to work with with good people and, and help support missions that uh support people so it's awesome, people helping awesome. people how many folks are y'all how many different unions are y'all uh, working with right now uh getting close to 400 actually wow um so varying sizes ranging from, I think, 45 members to over 60,000. So um, it's really built for anybody. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Scott, I really appreciate your time. Uh, you can learn more at unionly.io. That is unionly.io. And uh, and you can learn more there, and, and they can uh, get you set up by the beginning of next week. So, <laughs> Scott, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, Jacob. Appreciate it. You have a good one. Thanks, everybody. Yep, you too. All right. Thanks, it. All, right. All right, folks. Yeah, uh, we've been talking to uh, Scott Herrick. He is the co-founder and CEO of Unionly, unionly.io. Um, so, yeah, make sure if it, 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 I, I really think that that's something that, that unions should consider for sure um, is getting off of dues checkoff because I think that it's something that, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I think that, that you definitely um, – I think that there's there's merit to that argument. So, uh, so like everybody on the radio knows, we also stream on Facebook and YouTube. You can chat with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can chat with us on Facebook and YouTube, and uh, and we see that in real time. And we got a chat on the YouTube chat asking a question, uh, Eve said hi all i have an honest question the hubs husband is part of a union for cal state employees but the union has let them down time and time again what can he do and so adam replied in the comment section that our initial thoughts are going to be connecting with union members with similar concerns to pressure and change the leadership Uh, pressure slash change the leadership and lead a movement from the bottom up of rank and file workers to address the concerns because like we say this is kind of like a uh, a a catchphrase of mine almost at this point that unions are human institutions right unions are made up of workers workers are humans so workers are not perfect right and so we can see and we do not at all Say that, uh, uh, say that it's impossible that there are unions that have flaws, that there are unions that have an overly bureaucratic or uh, separated leadership, that there are unions that have kind of 
strayed a little bit from their mission of representing their employees. I don't doubt that for a second, and we know of examples of that. So, so this is a real problem that exists, right? There are unions that are not responsive enough to the, uh, to the needs of their members, okay? So this is a problem. And the question is, how do we do something about it? And uh, like, Adam, like Adam said in the chat, uh, and his, uh, uh, his response was echoed by some other union members in the chat. Um, and and uh, they, uh, 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 she said that they tried. The union never even turned up to the table. He has no idea what else to do or who they can complain to. He has called numerous times. They don't even pick up the phone. Like, this sounds like an issue, right? That the leadership is, is not, not even picking up the phone. Like, that's obviously an issue. Um, and, you know, uh, Jeb kind of echoed. Jeb is an iron worker locally. He's been on the show. They're a, they're a sponsor of the program. And, you know, they uh, uh, he said basically the same thing. And, and she kind of got a little bit testy. She said that um, this is the frustrating part. It was the question to get real answers. And all I get is platitude. And, and respectfully, respectfully, Eve, I would say that... Um, what we're saying and what Jeb is saying is not a platitude because unions, you know, Jeb said that the, the, the union is the workers. And so because the union is the workers, he can make a change, even if he's not in leadership. He can get with his coworkers who have uh, who have concerns and make those concerns known. Right. Because the uh, uh, even where you have. A responsive leadership. A responsive leadership, it doesn't mean anything if they don't have the rank-and-file workers to back them up. So if you have an unresponsive leadership, then you can get a rank-and-file movement to to make them responsive or to replace them if they don't become responsive. And we've seen, uh, we've seen multiple stories of this happening, like Adam mentioned, the Chicago Teachers Union. The Chicago Teachers Union had a very similar thing happen um, at where they had a leadership that was not responsive to the needs of the uh, to the needs of the members. And so there were rank and file Chicago teachers who uh, who got together in their schools and started, um, you know, started talking together, started organizing together without the help of the leadership um, to build power themselves. I mean, Adam, can you talk a little bit? You know a little bit more about the Chicago teachers. You know, so if she's looking for like a specific guide for how to do that, you know, I think that was there's a lot of reporting that's been done and analysis that's been done on the Chicago teachers. And so that's like one of the first places to look is what did they do, right? That's that's the first thing that came to my mind, especially with it being a public sector uh, in this specific example as well. Uh, So, you know, what they did in Chicago is, as you mentioned, rank and file folks came together. They formed a caucus called the Caucus of Rank and File Educators, CORE. And what they were doing uh, on the one hand was more or less doing the work the union was supposed to be doing. So they um, they were actually having meetings. They were uh, collecting concerns from members. They were doing community organizing and building the coalitions with parents and students and neighbors. Mm-hmm. And so all the things that basically they saw their union was not doing uh, were things that the union 
I mean, that the caucus started pursuing and doing themselves. Like, hey, if you're not going to do it, we'll do it ourselves. We'll prove how it's supposed to be done. And the other piece of it was organizing to actually change the leadership and run for uh, union offices uh, mm-hmm. from the lowest level down to all the way up to president. And ultimately, they did succeed in taking the presidency and a majority on the executive board. And so it's sort of a, a you know, you got to have multiple pieces to it. Uh that's that's the big picture view. The smaller picture view in terms of like, hey, I'm I'm an individual and like, where's my next step going to be? If you've already uh, feel like you've exhausted all the resources and steps within your union, you've talked to all the people you're supposed to talk to, you've you've placed all the phone calls you're supposed to place uh, and you've documented that. And that's that's something that sometimes folks forget to do. But do document not just when you're talking with your boss, but if you're in a situation like this where you feel like your union's letting you down, you, you should definitely document, take notes on when those calls were made and when they weren't answered. Uh, and you can bring that evidence forward. Um, and if you can't resolve it internally with the union by going all the way to the top, if need be, uh, you know, the last resort would be to take it to the National Labor Relations Board because unions do have a legal obligation to represent their members. And they can be uh, they can be charged with a failure to represent. Uh, I believe it's what a DFR charge. Mm-hmm. And so they're not very common, but you know, in in extreme circumstances, it happens. Right. And so those are a couple of thoughts I have. Uh, I really hate to hear that's the experience. Yeah. One thing I will say is uh, number one, don't. Don't let that color the experience of the labor movement overall because uh, there are locals out there that are not so great. There are Mm -hmm. locals that are. Um, There are leaders that are not so great and there are leaders that are. But your bad experience doesn't necessarily mean that that's how all unions are or how all leaders are in the union uh, movement. And I would also say, you know, don't just drop your membership because as soon as you drop your membership, well, then – you know, obviously, you have even less uh, input into the process, and you're going to po- probably just be dismissed even more so. Uh, when, as 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 long as you're an active member, you still have certain rights uh, to representation and to services that you you should get. You, if you pay dues, you should get what you pay your dues for. Um, so those are just yeah. those are some of my thoughts. I would say just you know document where you've gone gone through the process and kind of worked your way up the ladder. But it, it it's very likely it's a cultural issue uh, mm-hmm. within the union where maybe there's been a a long practice of sort of being disconnected from the rank and file. Right. You know I don't know about this union. I'm not going to speak on on you know what what kind of model they follow or the right. the merit of their leaders but but that's not i mean that's not a good report for sure Absolutely that they're not, not even no. answering the phones that's really not a good report but but like adam said and and this is and and we'll we'll move forward from after this but the like adam said it's important to recognize that individual stories of union malfeasance or union inaction are not representative of the labor movement as a whole and they're not representative of the value that coming together with your sisters and brothers on the job mm-hmm. and organizing a union um it does not that that is not representative of the value that that has because we can look at what what 
what they do for people. And my yeah. uncle is a really good example of this. And I didn't know this until recently. But my um, my my uncle was a chief steward of the Teamsters at UPS in Huntsville. And he got people their job back when they were unjustly fired. He got like he did a lot of work for the union. And when it came his turn to be represented to for for the union for his his you know the leadership to kind of fight for uh fight for him he felt like they did not and he was fired and and the union was not able to get him reinstated and so he ended up having he ended up doing a lawsuit on his own and he won um which is amazing and and so he's on disability now uh, because he was injured on the job and he's got a really good retirement coming from UPS and and so he will tell you how the union, how his leadership screwed him over, right? He'll tell you that, and he's not going to mince words. But he will also tell you that the only reason he's got a good retirement is because he was a teamster. He'll also tell you that the reason that he retired in 2002 making making $35, $40 an hour is because he was a teamster, right? So he doesn't lose sight. And And we were talking about the Amazon campaign, and he was like, I just can't understand it. I just can't understand why they wouldn't unionize. Why they wouldn't unionize. And this is a guy who has been personally, personally screwed over by unresponsive leadership. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that is the attitude. And Eve, I totally understand that this does leave a bad taste it does. Uh, in your mouth. And it and, leaves and a I've, bad taste in my mouth. And, and this behavior does undermine unions. Uh, but it's important absolutely. to, to, Contextualized. And, and I've I've had those kind of conversations when I've been out re- recruiting members. Yep. This is a right to work mm-hmm. state. Mm-hmm. You actually mm-hmm. have to recruit members uh, to be part of the union. And I've had those conversations where folks did have a bad experience in another industry or uh, in another local, and it it uh, it really can uh, leave a bad taste in people's mouth. And so that's why I think it's important that we all do the best that we can and yes. understand how. It goes beyond just that one worker, that one member, that one local. It mm-hmm. does reflect it does. upon the movement overall. And, you know, that's something that, that weighs heavy on me thinking about my past experiences. You know, what could I have done better to represent members? Uh, you know, what were the cases that I lost that, you know, that mm-hmm. those things still weigh on me. And I can tell you every every person I know who's, who's worked, uh, who's either been elected to union office or worked as a union staffer, it does weigh very heavy uh, yeah. at, because it should. It should. It should. And if it doesn't, then uh, that's then that's a problem. Be in this line of work. Absolutely. Uh, I appreciate the question. Absolutely. Eve. Yeah. Thank that you. That was Eve. a good question. That was a good discussion. That's- We're going to go to a break really quick. We're going to go to a break really quick. And on the other side of this break, we are going to play a clip from our conversation with Tim James. He is a candidate for governor. Oh boy. Um. So. So, yeah, that's going to be fun. Uh, You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller, and we will be right back. Energy Alabama supports consumers and is a leader in advocating for them. They have been able to successfully fight off utility rate increases in the state, reduce fees for electric vehicles, increase electric vehicle infrastructure spending, and they secured a $100 million refund by Alabama Power after the utility overcharged customers for fuel. To learn more about their work advocating for customers and to join the fight, go to energyalabama.org. 
There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org. The attorneys of Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs are proud to represent working people in Alabama and across the Southeast. They have over 100 years of experience representing injured workers in workers' compensation, personal injury, and disability claims. Let their attorneys help you when you get injured on the job. You can find them at www.mtandj.com or 855 617 9333. Let Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs help you when you get injured on the job. Again, the website is www.mtandj.com or the phone number 855 617 9333. No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services from other law firms. North Alabama DSA is looking for folks to work for a better North Alabama. They prioritize mutual aid, municipal activism, and union solidarity. Contact them on social media or dsanorthalabama at gmail for more information. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at IAMAW44.org. Hometown Action is a proud sponsor of the Valley Labor Report, and we're here to help keep you in the loop on the assault on your right to protest, picket, and peaceably assemble in Alabama. The anti-protest bill is back this year, and it's as bad as ever. There is huge interest in building worker power and increasing unionization in Alabama that has corporations scared. Don't let their influence on our state legislators become another tool to arrest striking workers and union supporters. This racist bill is especially problematic for black organizers and unnecessarily gives law enforcement broad discretion to define even small peaceful gatherings as a riot. Tell your Alabama legislators to say no to House Bill 2. We've set up an easy way for you to do that. You can go to hmtn.link slash hb2 where you'll find more information and an email template you can use right from your smartphone. That link is hmtn.link dot link slash hb2 you'll also find more info on social media at hometown action we're the nurses firefighters and claims representatives that help keep our government services running we respond to natural disasters we care for our nation's veterans and we investigate discrimination in the workplace we are federal and dc government workers and we are proud to serve the american people working in more than 70 agencies across the government we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back learn more at afge Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. Which side are you 
Alabama's only union talk radio show. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator Adam Keller. And uh, man, it's been a good show today. We've been talking about how uh, uh, how unions are not necessarily perfect, but that doesn't uh, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't join one. Uh, we've talked about how uh, we've talked to local poultry workers about how being in a union has helped them. We've talked about uh, uh, we've talked to Scott Herrick from Unionly about how his company can help your union or um, union friendly organization. We've had a good show today. If you missed any part of that, if you're listening to us on the radio and you're like, "Hey, man, that sounds good. That sounds interesting." There's a poultry union in Decatur. I want to learn more about that. But man, I'm I'm really bummed. I didn't hear that on the radio. Man, what a I guess that's lost to history. You're wrong. It's not lost to history. We are online. You can find us on YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Valley Labor Report, and you can find that there. Um, we upload, we stream the broadcast live, and we upload clips throughout the week. Uh, we also upload it as a podcast. So, so wherever you consume your media, we're there for you. Um, so next up, I spoke to Tim James yesterday. He is a candidate for governor, and uh, we spoke for about an hour yesterday. I'm going to play for you 12 minutes of that conversation, and you'll be able to hear the rest of it uh, if you subscribe to us online. (laughs) Uh, Subscribe to our podcast, subscribe to our YouTube feed, uh, follow us there, and you'll be able to find the rest of the conversation. But Adam, let's go ahead and play that first 12 minutes. Sure thing, and I just want to say that I could not be part of that conversation. I was at work, and I'd, I'm interested to hear what uh, we have coming down the pike. So this will be a surprise to me as well. All right. All right. Mr. Tim James coming right up. Tim James is our guest this week. He is running for governor. He is an entrepreneur and a business leader. Uh those are a dime a dozen, seems like, today. <laughs> uh, he is the son of former Governor Fob James. Tim, welcome to the Valley Labor Report. Thanks for talking to me. Jacob, good good, uh, good Friday. Good, good Friday. And happy Easter and uh, happy Passover weekend on this, this holiest of holy weekends. Yes, sir. Good yes, to on, I, good I told to be you. on the show. Yes, sir. I'm glad to have you. We was talking uh, before we uh, before we started recording that uh, you know I'm going to be going to my granddaddy's church on Sunday for the first time in a couple years, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it's been a while since he he's a preacher actually. Been a while since I've heard him preach, so I'm looking forward to it. So um, you know we'll just we're just going to jump right into it. And I also told you before um, you know before the show that the coal miner strike in Alabama has been. Uh, has been at the top of our radar. Uh, working folks in Alabama have really been at the center of a surging conversation about a renewal of organized labor in the United States. And uh, one of the focal points has been those thousand coal miners in Brookwood that are on strike against private equity-owned Warrior Met Coal. When politicians are not simply ignoring the issue like Governor Kay Ivey or reading Warrior Met press releases at Senate hearings like Tommy Tuberville, uh, they're outright restricting their right to speak and assemble like a Robert Bentley appointed Tuscaloosa County judge has done during the entirety of the strike. 
what are you going to be doing for these coal miners in Brookwood, whether you're elected or not? Well, number one, I can tell you uh, when I'm elected, these people going back to work. Um, I think isn't the holding company BlackRock? Yes, sir. That's right. So we're talking. We're really talking about BlackRock. The yes, biggest they hold. The big, they hold right? the largest share of Warrior Met. They bought along with some other uh, DC and New York and Australia private equity firms in 2015 when the management took Jim Walters Energy into bankruptcy. Right. Those private equity firms bought them out and retained the same board of directors and CEOs, gave them Mm -hmm. a raise, while the coal miners took a $6 an hour pay cut, while the coal miners lost their pensions, while the coal miners uh, lost significant sums of their health care, and they aren't getting anything from anybody in Alabama as far as the political class is concerned. Well, it's worse than that. Um, They're making record profits because of the price of coal. Uh, the, uh, you got a thousand Alabama workers, you know, government cannot get in the middle of a, of a, uh, a conflict, uh, you know, and can't tell anybody what to do, but I can tell you this, I will use my influence. I will not allow state resources. And I understand they, they're sending troopers up there to bring out of staters through the line and that will not happen. The only way I would ever use troopers is if there was ser- real violence and there is no violence. And so this is a bullying tactic. Basically, what you got here, um, Jacob, is you got the governor of Alabama doing the bidding for, for the big business boys. And uh, they all support her. They're giving her just boo-coodles of money. And my heart goes with working class people. And I knew I knew this was a con. I knew that I, when because I, I read the I've read the data on it when I heard that one of the demands of, of the corporate side was that if you have four misses and that includes legitimate sickness, if you if you get sick and you miss a day, that counts towards a four a limit of four. And at that point, you get fired, no matter if all of them were legitimate. I never heard of that. Mm-hmm. But when I when I learned that, I knew full well this is a bullying tactic. They're trying to destroy them, trying to break them down. They're bringing out of state workers in through the line, helping them go through the line. And I can tell you, you know, um, this is unacceptable. And as governor, you know, I will step into the discussion. You can't make them. But I tell you one thing, Alabama will not uh, allow its resources, its law enforcement or anything else uh, to take advantage of Alabama working citizens, let alone coal miners or anybody else. Right, right. So have you been on the picket line with them yet? No, I didn't even know the the brevity of this issue, really, to be honest, until a couple few weeks ago myself. I sat down with some of the guys and they began to explain to me and what was going on. And uh, and that this is where I, this is where I stand on it. Yeah, well, that's uh, you know I'm I'm glad to hear that. Glad to hear that you've been uh, you've been in conversation with them, and I'm I'm sure that they'd uh, they'd welcome you on the picket line. Uh, let me at, hey, Jacob. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I may go to the picket line, but you're not going to get me to go five thousand feet into the earth <laughs> in one of those elevators, right? Into the bottom to, to in a coal mine. 
I don't, I don't, you know, I can do a lot of things, but that I don't think I can do. You realize that you realize guys that do that are some kind of tough, hmm. fearless guys. It's amazing. I've always loved coal miners. My dad loved them. Just love the personalities and uh, just family is generational. And to lose that, to lose that, that generational work, you, you know, they, they all act alike. They, they're big. They look like linebackers. Mm-hmm. Uh, is a is an absolute shame, and we've got to we got to use the influence that we can to make this problem go away. And I, you know, I will not, I won't sit idly by and let corporate America, BlackRock, any of the rest of them, uh, unfairly penalize Alabama citizens. And I, you know, we'll we'll talk about it publicly, and just, we'll see what they're made of, see how much pressure those boys can take. There you go. That sounds that sounds good to me. Um, one of the things that intersects with the strike is uh, is the state of uh, freedom of speech in this country. Um, you know, like I said, they have been limited for the entire. I mean, they've been on strike for over a year now, and they've been limited the whole time how many people they could have on the picket line. First, it was eleven, then it was five, then it was six. For a couple mi- for a couple months, they were banned totally outright they could not have picket lines now i think uh by his good graces that tuscaloosa county judge has allowed two people on the picket line at one time um what how do you you know is that something that the state should be doing should be telling people when and where and how they can and can't protest the boss in their state what was the and i was aware of that but i never really uh, took the time or haven't had the time to read the reasoning that the judge gave. Did What did he say? What was the, what was his purpose or what was his reason? For this uh, the limitation? reasoning was because of quote unquote union violence. And of course on a picket line, you're going to have some skirmishes, right? You're going to have some, some consternation between the scabs, who are, you know, uh, bending over for the company, basically, uh, you know, you're going to have some, some issues there, but the vast majority of the instances cited have been where the scabs have run into the striking miners and the striking miners turn around and kick the car or turn around and, you know, bust the window after they've been hit. So it, seem, it seems totally, totally out of proportion to what has it does, happened. It does. It does. It does. And a limitation like that is absurd on his face. And, you know, as governor, I'm just telling you, I'll get in the middle of it and uh, probably resolve it in an afternoon because uh, – I suspect, I suspect BlackRock and in, in the corporate side, they don't, you know, whether they want to really get crossed up with the governor in a state where their coal mines are inspected by the state of Alabama and tough questions can be asked. So, you know, I want fairness. I'm not looking to abuse anybody, but I will not allow Alabama citizens to uh, to be abused by Wall Street corporate uh, groups. Uh, they have every right in the world to buy any asset they want, operate it. But I expect fairness in Alabama. Uh, some lawmakers ha- in Alabama have have tried to further restrict the ability of working folks to speak freely, to protest the state, protest their boss, um, by trying to pass so-called anti-riot bills um, that they would, uh, the and it didn't pass in the last session. And these bills would... Uh, Obviously, I think they'd be used against 
uh, folks who are on the picket line, uh, they would enable people to, without being convicted, be held for uh, 24 hours before uh, before they're let go, before they can post bail, and they can be convicted according to uh, according to numerous numerous lawyers that a properly motivated DA could convict somebody of quote unquote rioting under the new definition if uh, even if they had not damaged any property or hurt the hair on a single per- uh, hurt a hair on a single person's head that seems mm. to me to be uh, again just a vast overreach how, how have you felt about the so-called anti-riot bills that have been uh, oh, that, that have been, you, been trying to pass what, across the uh, across the country and in this state what you're what you're, desc- what you're describing is uh is it would be a first amendment violation i think a lot of that stemmed from some of the craziness uh some of the Black Lives Matter overkill, some of the junk out west and northwest, but uh, we have a we, we we there is a right to assemble uh, peacefully, and uh, if the the idea that you could criminalize that uh, is so unconstitutional on its faith on its face, uh, I, I just can't believe that that would really get real legs. Uh, so now, you wouldn't support the anti-riot bills that have been uh, no, uh, put I forward? No I, no, I don't support anything. I believe in the right to assemble. If you break the law, if you start tearing things up, burning buildings down, mm-hmm. uh, painting monuments because you don't like the monument, just uh, tearing up, abusing public property, that's against the law. I'm, I'm going to lock you up and put you in jail. But if you are assembling on a picket line or anything else, you have that right. You have that constitutional right. Uh, labor has every right to assemble, every, every right to strike or not strike, and uh, and to be bullied or, or threatened by some zealous district attorney is unacceptable. All right. So there, that was the that was a clip from the hour long conversation that. I had with gubernatorial candidate Tim James. Um, he uh, unfortunately, the rest of the conversation was not that amicable. <laughs> not surprised there. Um, additionally, additionally, in the Facebook chat, uh, Martha Cox Sutton mentions, uh, "If only you could believe him. If only you could believe him." Uh, right. And that is that is certainly a concern. If only you could believe him. Uh, because you know, there, it's easy to say these things, and it's a lot more difficult to actually challenge the people who have the power in this, st- the, the the bosses and the people from, you know, these private equity funds and, and things like that. It's a lot more difficult to actually challenge them um, when you're in the office. But we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. But the rest of the interview, unfortunately, we're going to release that on next Sunday. So a week from tomorrow, we're going to release the rest of that. Um, after that, it really devolved into uh, conversations about the culture war, which he says is his number one priority. He says the culture war is his number one priority, which is fascinating to me. And one of his big things that he likes to repeat is that we have all hell has broken loose since we took prayers out of school. Um, and so I asked him, so if you think about this logically, 
as a if all hell has broken loose since we took prayers out of schools, which I have a problem with that premise because I prayed in school. We had a fellowship of Christian athletes. We met before school started, and and the I meetings would, at the flagpole, the, the whole nine the yards. There That's was a joke. Uh, we had we had teachers that would that would give us lessons at the fellowship of Christian athletes that we would come to. We had outside speakers. We gave lessons at the fellowship of Christian athletes. There was no prohibition at all on people praying the or people practicing their religious convictions the prohibition was on forcing other people to do it or forcing people to listen to you do it right and i, I you know whatever Which, by the way um, that still happens plenty in alabama yeah, too that still happens uh, plenty. but so he he's but ba- but he he says that we took prayer out of schools, we've gone to hell in a handbasket. And so I asked him a pretty simple question, right? Okay, so if you think that we are worse now because we don't have prayer in schools, if we are a more morally bankrupt country now, then you think we were a better country before when we had Jim Crow and when we had slavery. And so I asked him, you know, like, when you look at America today, do you believe that we are a morally worse country than we were Back then, when we had Jim Crow, when we had slavery, but we had prayers in schools. <laughs> and I could never get him to answer that, which is a f- just fascinating, fascinating thing that you can't answer that it is better. I mean, even if, like, let's even stipulate that you believe that homosexuality is a sin or that it's bad or whatever. Like, even if you believe that, we should be able to say that it is a the, a society is morally better when gay folks are not harassed for being gay and we don't have slavery rather than we've got slavery and gay folks are oppressed right i mean i think that should be a pretty easy thing and he just i couldn't get him to say that so. well i think with those types of folks they're okay with the harassment. I mean, uh, they right. would either deny that the harassment takes place, despite all the statistics that we have that proves very clearly that there are plenty of hate crimes that still take place against LGBT folks, uh, or they would, quite frankly, just de- defend it and think it's a good thing. Uh, but, yeah, Tim James, uh, you know, that's good that he supports the coal miners in words. Uh, maybe he's staking out a position that Kay Ivey hasn't taken. And so who knows? Maybe this we'll puts see. it back on the radar for the gubernatorial campaign. That would be great. It is possible. Let me just be clear. It is very possible to love coal miners and all working class people. And gay folks. And, and gay people. Folks. And, and, and all kinds of people. Yeah. Uh, it is. I, I can reconcile that. I don't know uh, why some people can't, uh, but that's the power of ideology. Yep. Uh, so we're gonna do. We're gonna wrap up here on the radio with last week in Southern Labor. Last week in, in Southern Labor is a segment that we do every week where we go over what happened last week in the South in the labor movement. We get this information from Jonah Furman's newsletter, Who Gets the Bird? You can read it at whogetsthebird.substack.com, where he goes over what happened everywhere all over the United States in the labor movement. We just take out the important parts, which is what happened in the South, right? Screw the Yankees. I don't care about them. Of course, that's a joke. I love my Yankee brothers and sisters. Blah, 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 blah. Um, in new organizing. We had new union filings are up 
57% year-over-year year per the NLRB. Something approaching 10% of those are star are from Starbucks alone, which is awesome. Uh, speaking of Starbucks, 479 Starbucks workers at 17 stores filed for elections with Workers United, including in Denton, Texas, and Boone, North Carolina. 62 staffers at good government nonprofit Common Cause in D.C. are unionizing with the Washington Baltimore News Guild. 60 commercial building cleaners for Hamhead in D.C. are organizing with laborers local 572. Three flight simulator techs for CAE in Midland City, Alabama are joining the machinists. Three sprinkler fitters for Amtec in Lexington, Kentucky are joining UA Local 669. SPFPA continues to unionize canine handlers with 40 more joining in D.C. this week. Fifteen security guards at an air traffic control center in Fort Worth, Texas are joining federal contract guards of America and eight security guards at an office building in D.C. are joining SPFPA. In election wins and losses, we had 156 workers for Refresco in Fort Worth, Texas remain with the Teamsters Local 997 after beating a decertification vote 84 to In Strikes and Bargaining, Justin Miller at the Texas Observer has finally written the deep dive piece that the 10-month Exxon lockout of 600 steelworkers in Beaumont, Texas deserves check it out. Several big grocery strikes did not happen last week with a major deal announced in East Texas where 17,000 Kroger workers with UFCW Local 455 were once again on the precipice of a strike for the third or fourth time during the pandemic. 300 nurses and hospital workers with the D.C. Nurses Association held a one-day strike against Howard University Hospital in D.C. The Parcast Union, which is a part of the Writers Guild of America East, has been in negotiations with Spotify for a year and a half and is frustrated over pay, diversity, and intellectual property provisions, saying they are ready to strike. Vice ran a piece about the BNSF rail carrier's egregious high-vis attendance policy that has been driving longtime railroaders with BMWE, that's a union, and Smart TD, another union, out of the industry, and which courts have more or less said the unions can't strike over without massive state reprisal. Imagine that in this country... But uh, the free speech war is about whether or not you can post on Twitter. Meanwhile, the government is telling, telling railroad workers that they can't strike because their bosses aren't letting them off more than one day a month. Screw you. I mean, God, screw you. Screw you if you think the free speech fight in America is on Twitter. Sorry, I just. Ah, oh, it's so frustrating. Senate cafeteria workers with Unite Here Local 23 in D.C. rallied last week. NLR in political fights, NLRB General Counsel Jennifer Abruzzo is at it again, dropping some extremely consequential memos. First, that captive audience meetings where an employer forces workers to listen to propaganda against the union or corners workers on a job to convince them to vote no are against the law. Second, that it's time to reinstate the Joy Silk Doctrine. We'll be doing a deep dive in overtime on that, by which a union is only not recognized when there is some good faith reason to doubt 
that it has majority support among workers, not just when the boss would like to drag the union into a week's or months-long campaign. The second memo actually contains several important recommendations, though it's not totally clear when these things might go into effect. They have been taken up by, they have to be taken up by the board itself for them to go into effect. So we'll see. Also, the NLRB has finally ruled on the Memphis 7, which is seven Starbucks workers fired for organizing at a Memphis location, which provoked national protests, but what felt like a sluggish response from the board in a campaign that's moving at a speed unheard of for the 21st century NLRB. The board says the firings were illegal, but the question remains if the board is willing to stop the tactic from spreading, as it has throughout the company with activists fired in Buffalo, North Carolina, Arizona, and elsewhere. And boom, that's going to be it for us on the radio. If you want to, call us in overtime. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. You can go to our website, become a supporter of the program at tvlr.fm. If you want to continue listening to the program, you can find us online. And stay tuned for Overtime, where Sam Cedar from The Majority Report is talking to us about Air America, where we answer the question, are Starbucks workers parasites? That's a crazy question. That is a crazy question. And we explained that Glenn Greenwald doesn't know anything about unions. And we're going to be talking about more. So, folks, stay tuned. Find us online. The Valley Labor Report. All power to the workers. 